Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam Levinter. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. Welcome back to E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Support for E2 is brought to listeners in part by Iristel, offering better Canadian telecom solutions. With Iristel Business Solutions, companies can streamline communications to reduce complexity and give employees better resources. Visit iristel.com slash solutions for more info. That's I-R-I-S-T-E-L dot com slash solutions for more. Owner. With Owner, you can run in the name search, register, or incorporate your business. Even create a custom logo in just a few minutes. Make your business official at owner.co. That's O-W-N-R.co. Don't forget to use the code E250 at checkout for $50 off. And our newest sponsor, the Entrepreneurs Organization and the local chapter in Toronto, Canada. Are you a founder of a growing business? EO is the catalyst that enables entrepreneurs to learn and grow from each other. EO members are provided with a continuous cycle of peer-to-peer networking opportunities, monthly forum meetings, and world-class learning events. For more info on joining EO, visit eotoronto.ca and click apply. So today is my chat with Justin Tuin, the co-founder and CEO of LowestRates.ca, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. Justin calls Lowest Rates the Expedia of personal finance, as the site compares things like mortgages, car insurance, and credit cards. And in this episode, Justin and I talk about fintech, of course, but also Canada's lack of financial literacy and why Canadians typically don't comparison shop for financial products, why the media loves startups who raise capital versus those that bootstrap, starting something on the side versus jumping in with laser focus, and more. So without delay, here is my great chat with Justin Tuin. So the easiest way to explain lowestrates.ca is that it's like Expedia or Trivago, but instead of allowing Canadians to compare flights and hotels, lowestrates.ca allows Canadians to compare personal financial products. So if you're a Canadian looking for car insurance or a mortgage or a credit card or a loan, we compare the entire market for you in one place for free so that you can make sure that you're getting the absolute best offer and best price for your unique needs. So for instance, if you're looking for car insurance, you'd come to our site, you'd spend about five minutes entering your information, and then we compare prices from over 20 different leading car insurance companies in Canada, and we'd show those to you. And the way that we make our money is basically by connecting consumers with the company that is offering the lowest rate or the best price for that particular individual, and we get paid a referral fee. And we get paid that whether the consumer actually uh, ends up purchasing or not. So that's typically how we work. But we don't only just provide rate comparison, we also provide a lot of education. We think financial literacy is a big problem in Canada. Mm -hmm. Canadians just don't know enough about personal finance. And so we spend a lot of time and effort writing articles, answering questions to people's most common personal financial questions. We're basically trying to make personal finance more approachable, more interesting, less intimidating, so people make better financial decisions, end up with more money in their pocket, and lead happier lives. Why do you think the literacy level is so low in Canada? I was doing some research on the market, and in the UK, about 70% of all financial transactions start on sites like yours. 
um, iSelect, which launched in Australia way back in, I think, 2000 or something like that, uh, is responsible for selling about 20% of all health insurance policies. So these countries are just way beyond where we are here in Canada. What is the reason for that? The government doesn't teach it. There's no courses. So there's no way, unless Canadians actually seek it out themselves, for Canadians to become financially literate. But then the second part of it is that the banks, the big five banks, the five most profitable companies in Canada, have such a stranglehold on the mindset and the trust of Canadian consumers because it's just what Canadians have always done. Your parents went to the bank. Your grandparents went to the bank. And so Canadians have it ingrained in their psyche that the banks are always looking out for you and that whatever the bank says, you should implicitly trust. And so that combination of the banks really having such high grand equity in the minds of consumers and Canadians not knowing better because there's no financial education or financial literacy that's taught in the school system leads Canadians to just not even thinking about personal finance and not questioning it. It leads them to just walking into their bank and accepting the first mortgage offer or credit card that they're offered. It leads them to staying with their same insurance company year after year after year. And that's got to change. Um, in other countries like the UK, you don't have you know, five companies that really own the consumer mindset like we do in Canada. And so it's very difficult for new companies like lowestrates.ca to generate awareness and to get consumers and Canadians to realize, hey, there is a better way, a different way. Hey, I can go online and compare personal financial products where I spend most of my disposable income the same way as I do for flights and hotels. We have millions of people coming to the site right now. So it's just a matter of time until this becomes a way of life for Canadians, just like Expedia and Travago are for them. So you have millions coming to the site now. When you started, it obviously wasn't that. So when did you guys launch and what was sort of the biggest hurdle? When did you start to get momentum going? How long did that take? We started the company in 2012 with $150,000. And we said to ourselves, either we're going to make a go of this or we're going to run out of money, in which case we go back to the corporate world and get real jobs again. We launched the site at the end of 2012. And since we only had $150,000, we had to be extremely careful where we spent our money. So all we had was a URL, lowestrates.ca. Mm -hmm. We had no website built. We had no algorithms or engines in order to compare quotes or prices. We had no one coming to the site and we had no financial partners to compare. So we had to do everything. We wanted to be at the top of the Google rankings so that people would come to us for free once we established that. Because we didn't have the money to advertise. We just didn't. You know, The money that we had, that $150,000, went towards paying some of our first employees. And that's generally where it went. I mean, I didn't pay myself a cent mm -hmm. for three years. And it really did take a lot of faith that this was going to work and that this was going to be the future. Because to do SEO right, it takes a long time. And thankfully, our efforts paid off. And we started to move up the Google rankings. More people started to come to our site. And it really was a snowball from there. Because once people use the site, they realize, hey, this is a lot better than just sticking with what I have right now. Or this is a lot better than having to call three or four different companies and spend half an hour on the phone with each of them. 
before there's traffic to the site, so you mentioned two years before you actually had real traction on the demand side. How do you get the supply side excited about listing on lowest rates? Well, we couldn't at first. That was the difficulty. So what we had to do at first was white label other companies' solutions. So it wasn't ideal whatsoever. But what we did is we had to essentially take whatever technology solution they had from a comparison perspective and put it on our site. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, there we couldn't even get that. We just had to put one product on our site. So it really was a chicken and egg kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, especially in the first year. In year two, we, we started to get at least some traffic on the site. I mean, it wasn't zero. It wasn't 10. It was in the hundreds at least uh, per month. So some of the forward-looking companies, they said, okay, look, uh, we understand that this is a big thing in the UK. We understand this is a big thing in Australia. We understand this is a big thing in the US. There are billion-dollar market cap companies in each of those countries um, that are doing what we're doing. We think this is the future, and we'd like to get in with you early. And just like anything else, when one company does it, when you're able to convince one company, others follow suit. So it really was a lot of cold calling, knocking on doors, follow up um, in order to get these companies. But having said that, we still do not have every single Canadian insurance company, credit card company, and bank on our site. And the reason is because if you're going to be on our site, it's going to force you to take a knock to your profitability. Because mm -hmm. especially if you think about mortgage, there's so many Canadians that walk into the bank and take whatever mortgage offer they're given. When in reality, that same bank is actually willing to significantly negotiate that with you. But a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know to go into the bank and say, you know, this isn't good enough. I was able to get X rate somewhere else. Can you give that to me? And so for the banks to be on our site and offer their best rates, in some ways, it's an unnecessary profit hit to them right now. Because I mentioned they're the five most profitable companies in Canada. And you still have so many people just walking into the into the banks and taking the first offer. There seems to be this lack of awareness, like comparison shopping has been around for a few decades and Canadians are comfortable comparing rates for hotels and flights and whatnot. You mentioned Expedia before. Beyond the obvious big five trying to control the narrative here, what else is going on, do you think? I just don't think it's very exciting. You know, if you think about a flight or a hotel or a vacation, that's sexy. That's exciting. That's something that you look forward to. When you're talking about personal financial products, which is where people spend most of their money, a lot of times you think you think it's confusing, you think it's intimidating, you think it's depressing, right? If you're thinking about credit card debt, that's stressful. That's not something that most people want to tackle. Mm -hmm. If you think about car insurance or home insurance, that's just a pain in the ass. That's just something that you need to have in order to drive your car yeah. or live in your home. If you think about a mortgage, same thing. So it's it's there are things that people don't understand much about. And they don't want to understand it. So there's, they just say, you know what? These are big companies. I can trust them. Must be good enough. Don't think I can save that much. And they kind of push it aside out of their mind. I don't think people realize how much they can save. You know, on, on a mortgage, for instance, you know, if you have a normal-sized mortgage, you can save thousands of dollars per year in interest by comparing. On car insurance, you can save somewhere around $500 per year on average. And you know, when it comes to credit card debt, if you're paying 20%, you can get that down to you know low single digits on credit card debt. That can save you a ton of money too. So I think it's just people need to they need to recognize that this isn't hard, this isn't intimidating. You know, we're trying to make this easy for them. 
and realize really how much money they can save. So, okay. So rewinding back to when you started with $150,000, uh, it takes you guys two years plus before things start to get going. Why did you guys decide to bootstrap and, and what's your thought process behind bootstrapping versus uh, raising VC money? This was our first entrepreneurial venture. I had always worked in the corporate world before and I didn't know much about being an entrepreneur. I didn't even think about raising money. My approach is still very much, you don't have a real company if you cannot generate profit. I think there's too many companies that are focused on raising money, getting government grants, raising VC money without actually knowing, do I have a company that's real? Do I have an idea that people care about? And if so, can I actually generate profit? You know, can I sell it for more than it costs to, uh, you know, to make that sale? I, I know it's a very different approach than a lot of entrepreneurs take these days, but it worked for us. You know, we, we, we are profitable, we have no debt, uh, and we use... We only spend what we make. So we use the proceeds um, from our positive cash flow and our profits to then reinvest within the company. Have you brought on any VCs since? Or no, you're still operating under this premise? No, we haven't. No, we, we, we've, we've never raised money to this day. You know, it's funny. It's uh, You wonder why there's so much hype around the raise versus you know building something that's sustainable, that's profitable, that like you say, is a real business. Do you think it's the media that's driving this hype? Like people celebrate how many millions of dollars they've raised, but nobody asks the tough questions like, okay, so you've raised X number of millions of dollars for this idea. Like how much revenue do you have? How, what's, what does the EBITDA look like? Because it's not as sexy. It's not as exciting. You know, when you raise money, you can raise money to be in really hot, new entrepreneurial office spaces where they serve lunch every day and there's exposed brick and everyone's going around on their scooter. There's nothing exciting about coming to an office where people have their heads down <laughs> and are working 18 hour days in order to try to make something and to start something that can be, that, that, that can last, you know, that can last for the long term. It's just not that exciting and, and it's tough. And there's not that many companies that are profitable. If you think about the FinTech sector, which we are in, in Toronto, there's not very many profitable fintech companies. So I think it's just there's a lack of these stories and they're just not as exciting. What percentage of your PL does paid search now represent versus what it represented, say, in 2012 or 2013? Well, in 2012 and 2013, paid search was zero because we had no money to 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 <laughs> to pay Google. Uh, so it was all organic search. It was it was us showing up any organic rankings that you don't need to pay for. Mm -hmm. Today, it's about 70% organic, 30% paid search. Okay. And uh, in terms of your variable costs, is marketing still the highest? Marketing is the high, marketing and technology. I mean, we, we do everything in-house. So we write all of our articles in-house. We develop the website in-house. We develop the comparison engines in-house. So staffing costs, infrastructure and technology costs, and marketing costs. Those are our kind of three, three major areas. So the affiliate stuff. So is the revenue model purely a cost per click play? Or are you guys exploring other avenues of revenue, like uh, potential advertising or, or a membership type model? We make money in two ways. So the first way, a consumer comes to our site, completes a car insurance quote, 
and then the lowest price, we match the consumer with that company offering the lowest price, and we are paid a referral fee. There are some cases like credit cards where we only get paid if the consumer actually gets approved for that credit card. So those are the only two ways that we get paid, by connecting consumers with partners in some cases and other cases where they actually purchase something and we get paid. We don't have any advertising anywhere on our site, and the reason for that is we want to be completely impartial. We don't want Canadians to think that we are preferring or giving preferential treatment to any one company versus another because we really don't care who Canadians are matched with as long as it's the best solution for their unique needs. So for that reason, we've stayed away from advertising. And it's tempting to have advertising on your site because it's a good revenue source and it's entirely profitable because there's no cost. Yep. But it's something we've stayed away from. We, we really strongly feel like we need to be that impartial, have that impartial view to consumers. How closely do you guys track abandons on the form fills? It's hugely important because, you know, if you have 100 people come into your site and, you know, on one form you have 50% abandon and on the other you have 75% abandon, you know, that's an extra 25 sales you're making on the one where there's a 50% abandon. So that's a huge focus of ours. We tweak our forms all the time, you know, at least monthly in order to optimize the consumer experience to get people through the form. But it's always, it's a difficult uh, situation for us because we also want the quotes to be as accurate as possible. What we don't want to have happen is someone gets through the form, they love the price, but then when they go to buy it, we don't ask them enough questions and the price is significantly different from what we've offered online. So it's always a little bit of give and take in terms of how easy it is to get through the form at the same time as asking the requisite questions to offer accurate prices. But it's hugely important. User experience is paramount for us. Yeah. Are they... This question may come off as uh, relatively stupid, but I'll ask it anyway. Are there any circumvention risks like for customers that are filling out form fills or whatever, gathering data from lowest rates and then going direct anyway? Oh, that's a big problem for us in two areas, specifically credit cards and mortgage. So on mortgage, mm -hmm. what typically happens for us is a person comes to our site and they see these phenomenal rates that they can't believe that they didn't know about before. They print out the page and then they take it to RBC or TD <laughs> or Scotia yeah. and say, I saw this online on lowestrates.ca. Please give me that rate. And so while I'm happy that the Canadian consumer is saving money and I hope that they had a positive experience with us and they'll come back and use us for one of their other financial products, we don't make any money that way. Same as credit cards. They'll see a special offer on our site and then instead of filling out the, the, the application on our site, they'll simply go to the credit card site and complete it. So we're trying to think of ways to get around that. And sometimes there's no way to get around that. Look, we're still helping Canadians, and we hope that we're still going to generate some lifetime value from them because they're going to come back and compare other products on our site where we can make money from them. Do you have um, any kind of referral program for your, uh, for your customers that gives them... I don't know, some sort of ability to share lowest rates or share their experience, share an email, share a discount, anything like that? We probably don't do as good a job as we should at that. We've got to be careful because we, we're obviously selling leads. So if a person completes a quote, 
Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that that person is in market and wanting to buy so that, you know, the partner that buys that leads from us has a good chance of selling it. What we found is when we do promotions like refer a friend and so on, what happens is you'll get people just completing quotes in order to get whatever bounty or prize you're offering the person who's referring, <laughs> who's referring. So that's something that we do need to get better at. Um, but we find that most referrals are just organic. You know, people have a great experience on our site and then they get their wife or their husband to try it out or they get their brother or sister or dad or friend. So typically that kind of takes care of itself. Let me ask you about customer service. So you've got the live chat, looks like you're set up with Zendesk. What kinds of questions are coming in from customers that are inquiring about what you guys do that, I don't know, are potentially surprising that you're learning about Canadians? Uh, All kinds of questions. I mean, we love questions coming from Canadians because it gives us the fuel in terms of what we write about in our blog, in our core content, in our news, because we know, okay, this is what they don't understand. This is what they want to know. And so it really gives us a good opportunity to answer their questions. I think we're just surprised at, you know, how little Canadians know about personal finance. You know, when it comes to mortgage, we get so many questions about what is a variable rate and what is the difference between variable and fixed. Mm. Um, when it comes to car insurance, we have so many people who are new to Canada and that just don't know where to start. And they don't know about bundling home and auto insurance together to generate a discount. They don't know that, you know, if you have winter tires, you can get a discount. There's just, there's so many different questions, but I think it just strikes us just the low level of financial literacy that Canadians have. You know what's so interesting about the different behaviors in the different markets? Like Australia, for example, people love to compare Canadians with Australians, right? Oh, we're we're so much alike, this and that. But in this space, it seems to me that iSelect, which was one of the pioneers, has become kind of a mainstay. And Australians are very comfortable with searching for financial products or rates for financial products in this way. Were, was it, were you watching what iSelect was doing before you got this business started? I mean, your website looks very, very similar. Like, were they an influence for you? No, they weren't. Um, the influence was moneysupermarket.co.uk. Hmm. I spent a lot of time working in the UK. I was there two weeks of every month uh, when I was working in the corporate world. And every time I turned on the TV, saw an ad on the side of a bus saw a billboard, it was always for these rate comparison sites, whether it was moneysupermarket.co.uk or Compare the Market or Confused. There are a number of massive rate comparison sites in the UK. And so that's what gave me the seed of the idea. And I didn't even recognize it till I got back to Canada. And then my mortgage was coming up for renewal and they were increasing my rate. The rate went up. And I said, I've been a customer of yours since I was a kid, why is my mortgage rate going up? Like, you know, shouldn't you be able to keep it the same or at least bring it down given I'm such a, you know, uh, a loyal consumer and given that mortgage rates aren't going up, there's been no increases from the Bank of Canada. And they said, no, Justin, you know what? I'm sorry, this is the best we can do. And so then I went and I shopped it myself and it took me a while. It was a pain. I probably spent five or six hours shopping it, you know, with some other banks. And lo and behold, I was able to get a rate that was 1% lower than what my existing bank was offering me. So I went back to my existing bank and they said, great news, we'll match it. And it took me having to, you know, go through calling all these different banks, spending five or six hours just to get the rate that the bank could offer me in the first place. And I said, you know what, for big ticket items like this, 
Canadians shouldn't have to haggle. There should be a better way. And I kind of put one and one together and said, well, I remember all of these sites in the UK. They don't really seem to exist in Canada. And that's what created LoisRights.ca. That's what created the idea. Among your group of competitors, were you the first, one of the first? No, we weren't the first. I'd say there were three other companies that that were offering sites, websites in this space. But Rate Hub, I don't, Rate Supermarket, uh, yeah. are these competitors of yours? Yeah, Rate Supermarket, Rate yeah. Hub, uh, Kinetics, and Insurance Hotline. Mm-hmm. But I don't really view them as competitors. <laughs> you know, the biggest impediment to our growth is not any of those companies. I actually embrace those companies, and I'm so happy when they do well. The biggest impediment to our growth is just Canadians not knowing that they can go online and compare. There's still less than 20% of Canadians that have ever gone to any of those sites and compared online. I mean, what we want, we want Canadians before they go to any insurance company, any bank, any credit card company, we want them to go online and compare and select their best partner that way. Just like they go to Expedia or just like they go to Trivago or just like they go to AutoTrader today. Expedia's portfolio is insane, by the way, just researching I know. and it's unbelievable. Like hotels, Hotwire, CarRentals.com, I mean, Travelocity, Trivago, the list goes on. Um, one of the weird facts about Expedia that I just read, Chelsea Clinton's on the board, which I thought was very curious and weird. But um, mm. yeah, so uh, but it's kind of the growth by acquisition strategy for Expedia, or at least it has been. Um, and it's worked well. They're they're a monster. What is the growth strategy for you guys going forward? Awareness and trust. You know, we've been growing quickly just by generating awareness getting more Canadians to know that lowestrates.ca exists and what we do, getting people to trust us, to put their personal information in, to realize that it can generate a positive outcome for them, and then continuing to exceed their expectations from a user experience perspective, whether that's an easy to use form, whether that's exceptionally interesting and useful content, whether that's going above and beyond from a customer service standpoint, that's where we are going to focus on organic growth, continuing to get more and more people to use lowestrates.ca. Now, having said that, would we be open to acquiring other companies? Absolutely, we would. We've not done that to date, but we there are some that we're looking into, and we'd be open to that. But those are more um, more likely to be technology plays where um, we can augment the offerings to consumers as opposed to other brands, because our focus really is on growing lowestrates.ca. It's hard enough to build one brand, let alone <laughs> let alone a number of others at the same time. Do you get that concern a lot? You, you mentioned the personal information piece. Um, customers that are um, pinging you through your Zendesk live chat uh, or inquiring about what you guys do, are they concerned about filling out forms and what you'll do with the information? Yes, is the short answer. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for all financial technology companies in Canada is mm-hmm. overcoming that barrier, that trust barrier. People trust the big banks implicitly. They trust the big insurance companies because they see them on TV, they see them in every corner, and they've been around forever. The good thing about our site is we don't necessarily take anything from consumers outside of their email and phone number. So we're not asking them to make a deposit. We're not asking them to give us money. So it's easier for us than it is for other financial technology companies in Canada, but that's a huge barrier to success. So we've talked a lot about mortgages. We've talked a lot about insurance products. You briefly touched on credit card consolidation at the beginning of the episode. What can you guys do to help those listeners who've got credit card debt that would like to inquire about what options are available to them? 
Yeah, absolutely. So credit card debt is the worst. <laughs> no one should have credit card debt. If there's one piece of advice I could give, because you're typically paying 20%, mm -hmm. you can go to a bank and you can get a line of credit for a lot less than that. When it comes to credit cards, one great product that we offer on our site that a lot of people don't know about are low balance transfer cards. So there are certain credit cards where you can take your balance that you're paying 20% interest on, you can transfer it onto another card, a low balance card, at 0% interest. Now sometimes the 0% interest is for six months or for 12 months, and then it goes to a, a different rate. But it really gives Canadians a chance to catch up on that debt and pay it off. How did you transition from online gaming into the world of entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship one and uh, two uh, comparison sites. Like, what? How did that all happen? Well, like I said, I was working in the UK because online gaming was became illegal in the US and Canada, and so all of our customers to whom we sold the online gaming software were in the UK. So I was in the UK all the time. I was in charge of product marketing and sales for the company. And they said to me, you know what, Justin, all of our customers are in Europe. So you have a choice. You can either work in one of London, Dublin, or Malta, or unfortunately, we're going to have to part ways. And I have a wife and two young kids. And so it just wasn't going to work for me to move to Europe. So we had to part ways. It was the right time in our life. You know, I felt like I gained a lot of knowledge and skills working in the corporate world that I could apply to an entrepreneurial role and we took a shot but it was very very hard it was very hard my wife i remember telling her the idea and her parents were school teachers and she wasn't that comfortable with uh with entrepreneurship and i told her the idea and she said justin that is not a good idea no one's going to trust you no one's going to come to a site called lowestrates.ca they're going to keep going to the royal bank they're going to keep going to td because that's just what people do and i said to my wife susan this is exactly the mentality that we need to change. This is the challenge that we need to combat. And she thought it was going to be too large of a challenge, but you know, she was very supportive and she said, look, go take a chance. But it was hard because, you know, she didn't understand it. My parents, you know, they always said, because I didn't pay myself for three years, they'd always say things like, oh, when Justin starts quote unquote working again, <laughs> mm. then we can do because I wasn't making any money. You know, I was I'd gone from making hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to making nothing for three years. And it's tough. There's a stigma because I was making no money. And so then some people felt like, including my family, that I wasn't working because I had nothing to show for it. So that's what made it doubly hard. You know, the fact that one, we had no people coming into site, but two, I wasn't bringing anything home. Like it made it doubly hard to stick with what my gut was telling me that this was actually going to turn into something. I'm glad I did because now we've been, you know, massively successful. Uh, and the financial rewards have been reaped also, but it was really hard. What about the, the, the thing you mentioned, um, the importance of setting a limit, right, in this period of transition. So you said you had started with $150,000. Yes. And you gave yourself two years or you gave yourself one hundred and fifty. How firm was that line that you drew in the sand? And do you think that that's good advice for those that are thinking about taking the leap and launching something? The, the, how firm was the line? Well, if we had blown through the 150,000, we would have stopped. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I don't know if setting a hard limit is a good idea or a bad idea. I think you really need to trust your gut. The one thing that I've realized as I've gone on and faced decisions time after time, typically, you know, in your gut, you really know 
if you should continue with something or what type of decision you should make. And I would really encourage people to listen to their gut because you just, you have a hunch, you have an inkling that, you know what, this is going to work if I keep doing it, or this is not going to work, you know, or this is not going to work. And I think you, a lot of times you need to, you need to listen to people, but you need to decide what you take in. Cause if we, if we had listened to what everyone was telling us, we would have quit. So you, you really need to, in your gut, believe in what you're doing and really take a long time before you actually start on something. But then once you start on something and you're sure about it, make sure that you put all of yourself into it, all of your effort. You give it every opportunity to succeed and listen to your gut. If your gut's telling you, you know what, this is just never going to take off, then, you know, take your lessons and move on to something else. But, you know, until your gut tells you to stop, I would keep going. (laughs) I know that's a non-scientific answer whatsoever, but, you know, for me, it it really kind of guided me. Okay. So how did you filter through that noise? Like you're saying that if you listen to all the advice, you would acquit. How did you decide what advice to take or pursue versus what advice to dismiss? You got to make, you got to be a good decision maker. I think you've got to be able, I mean, a lot of my success is being able to make good decisions and quick decisions with incomplete information because success is an accumulation of good decisions. And you can't always have an abundance of information to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. And so again, I, I think it, it goes back to understanding what it's going to take to be successful and making good decisions along the way and listening to your gut. There, there's, no, <laughs> there's no scientific way to know, okay, I should listen to this or I should not listen to this. I just, I don't think it's that hard if you, cause I took, gosh, I took probably two years to kind of germinate this idea before we actually decided to go at it a hundred percent. So I was very sure that this was going to be successful. And so I wasn't going to let some naysayers kind of take me off that path until I didn't believe it anymore. But I think to do anything difficult to, you know, it's, it's, it's called doing something difficult for a reason because it is difficult. It's hard. You, you just, you have to have so much belief in it. It can't be a rational, irrational belief, but you just have to have so much belief and keep pushing through. Yeah. And, and you'd also mentioned you borrowed some of the skill sets that you learned uh, in the corporate world. If you could yes. distill it down to, you know, the top two or three um, for entrepreneurs or would be entrepreneurs that are interested in taking the leap, what do you think the most important skill sets or traits are that then transfer over from the corporate space into the world of entrepreneurship? Right. So I think number one, the ability to work hard there, you are not going to be successful unless you work exceptionally hard. And unless you are exceptionally focused, I am not a believer in side gigs or in being able to do two things. I think you need to have a laser like focus if you ever want to be extremely successful with something. So hard work and focus is one flawless execution is another. I would take a well-executed idea that's mediocre over a poorly executed idea that's an amazing idea anytime. You need to be able to execute, do what you say, when you say you're going to do it every single time. And that's going to give you a massive advantage over a lot of the competition who doesn't. And I think going back to what I said earlier, you really need to understand if you're going to start a company, what am I selling? Who wants to buy it? What can I sell it for? And how much is it going to cost for me to generate that sale? Because too many people don't know if they have a market for their product. They don't know how much they can sell their product for, and they don't know how much it's going to cost to generate it. I don't think you can get into a business 
until you at least have an idea about those about those metrics. So, you, you know, the other things that have helped me, you know, negotiation has hugely helped me. Having a basic understanding of accounting and finance has hugely helped me. But you can learn a lot of those skills. Um, but but I think the things that I talked about in terms of focus, flawless execution, working hard, and just really understanding how and if you're going to be able to make money are the things that I would really make sure you're ready to do if you want to launch your own company. Yeah, I love the way that you bulleted those four. Super clear. And I think that's really beneficial for a lot of people. I'll give you the last word. Where could people find out more about you, Justin, and of course, Lowest Rates? Yeah, check us out at lowestrates.ca. We'd love to save you some money and answer any of your personal finance education questions. And I can be found on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way to get me. Or hopefully you'll see me if you're in Toronto on a tennis court or a soccer field or a baseball field with my kids. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get to the personal stuff uh, in that regard, but that's awesome. Um, really appreciate you taking the time today, Justin. There's a lot of good stuff in this episode. Thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, thanks, Adam. That was a lot of fun. All right, take care. Have a great one. Okay, talk to you later. Thanks, bye. Thank you for listening and being a part of E2. E2 is brought to you in part by Owner. With Owner, you can run a name search, register or incorporate your business, or even create a custom logo in just a few minutes. Make your business official at owner.co. That's O-W-N-R.co. Use the code E250 at checkout for $50 off. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork. WeWork is a global network of workspaces where people and companies grow together. WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. Your positive support means a lot to us, so if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a positive review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your audio. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electric Acid Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric Acid to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.